Hey, welcome to the Default Alive podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Chris. And this is our audio documentary of our journeys building profitable internet businesses. And so if this is your first time listening, you can learn more about us and get up to speed by starting at episode number one. But if you're a regular, welcome back. All righty. Happy April. Happy April. Here we are, month four. Time's flying. I don't know about you, but I was just like, April. <laughs> what? What are we doing? Yeah, it uh, it really is. This is. I think this will be the latest I've ever been as far as uh, sending out an investor update. I, I still need to do my March <laughs> update. <laughs> if that's a sign, I don't know what is. Yeah. I'm also lagging. I was about to write it, and then I started going down this other rabbit hole, which we'll talk about. But. Um, yeah, it's, it was March was quite the month as we talked about last last week. Yeah, yeah, it's well, uh, I don't know. Even just the fact that the the first quarter is already done is just like wow. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You must have a different perspective on time now too. That uh, your son was born in January, which must make it a little bit easy to kind of keep track <laughs> of how old he is. But it also, does, yeah. I would imagine you're sort of telling time by how old he is as well, and how much time has passed since he was born. Yeah, totally. And, you know, like everyone says, it's it's going by fast too. Like we look at pictures of, you know, even from January or, or February and mm-hmm. we're like, wow, he's already he's already changing so much and, and getting so much bigger. So yeah. That's nuts. It's crazy. Well, what's yeah. what's been new last week? Uh uh it's uh <laughs> it's been a great week. It's there's there's been a lot going on, so uh, you know, re- related to my son, uh, my parents are out here for the first time Nice uh, since, since he was born. So yeah, they, uh, awesome. they both got vaccinated and had all that, uh, taken care of. And so they were finally able to get out here. And, uh, number one, it's just been nice having them around and having some help. So, uh, mm-hmm. it's not just, just me and my wife, cause both of our families are, uh, you know, not local to San Diego. So that's been great. And, uh, it's helped me also on the work side of things because for a while I was maybe doing three hours a day, uh, yeah. which was tough, uh, yeah. and it, at odd hours and stuff. And so I'm a little bit more back into the swing of things. And, uh, you know, the other big thing is I had Noah starting on support last week. Woo. Let's go. Yeah. I am. I'm very jazzed up about that. That has been awesome. That's so, amazing. Yeah. One thing I didn't realize when I was, when I was looking for someone to help, uh, with the JetBoo support was just how much of a massive head start it is. If you can hire somebody who already knows your product, whether they're an existing customer or, uh, you know, really that's like, <laughs> that's a great route to go. Um, cause no, I, you know, Noah was, I think one of the first five JetBoost customers really uh and so yeah he's been he's been using it for a long time uh and yeah it's it's saved me so much time as far as having to train someone on the product and uh really from day one he was jumping in and uh you know i'm I'm onboarding him and he's kind of like drafting responses and then i'm reviewing them but uh i i expected it was going to take a while before you know, whoever I hired was, was going to be able to like really be able to write, you know, solid responses and all that. And he's just, he's blown my expectations away. Um, you know, with, with the knowledge of the product and also just like, frankly, he's doing support better than I am. Like he's writing better responses. He's writing more thorough responses. Uh, I, I certainly like my, <laughs> my my level of support has definitely declined over time. Like the responses have gotten shorter, uh, you, you know, still trying to be thorough and answer, but it's just like, there's so much other stuff going on. And hmm. so like reading through his replies, I've just been like, Oh, this is, this is awesome. Like it's, it's great for me. It's also even better for JetBoost customers and, and people who are trying it out. So, yeah. 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 That is amazing. Well, shout out to Noah. That's uh yeah. that's super, super cool. It super happy for you. I mean, just the way that it like played out was awesome. Just having like the, basically not having to do a whole hiring process, having like the serendipitous Twitter encounter <laughs> as it always goes and um, yeah. being able to get them onboarded so quickly. 
yeah, it's just, it's, like I said, it's been such a massive head start. Uh, you know, today there were like four tickets that came in right away, uh, sort of back to back this morning. And he just drafted up all the responses for them. I reviewed, I think three of them were just ready to go. And so I was like, yep, you know, send them out. And then one, I added like one small thing and and then he mm-hmm. sent it out. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's unlocked a lot of time for me now, which has been great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I want, uh, before I forget, I just want to make one mention of, uh, the note on the parents because, um, just to switch topics, go back to that really quick. <laughs> yeah. I, um, uh, my wife and I are leaving to Cancun this Saturday, which we're super, super stoked about. We're finally using, I think I've mentioned it a bunch of times, but my wife won a trip to Cancun, um, from the Ellen show. She won the Ellen show last December pre COVID. Uh, we were able, we were supposed to use it in 2020, uh, weren't able to for obvious reasons. So they extended it and they booked us all the way out in April. And now here we are in April. So, um, the thing is, so we already had COVID and we know we did because we had all of the telltale symptoms. Um, uh, the people we got it from my wife's family, they got tested, they all tested positive. So we're like, we knew like a hundred percent for sure we, we had it, but we didn't get tested because, uh, one, like we kind of just didn't want to go out while we were sick. And it was like this big rush of everyone getting tested and the tests were still being rolled out here pretty slowly here in San Diego. Um, and we figured if we already had it and we knew about it and we were quarantined then, you know, kind of no harm, no foul. The thing now is that with all this travel going on, that now there's a whole bunch of things that like people want, like a documented, you know, uh, either proof of, you know, a negative, uh, test result or proof of recovery. And we don't have proof of recovery, which is lame, which means that we have to go and get tested or have some sort of test to, to, uh, uh, at least to come back. Cancun is actually pretty lenient. I think cause the economy is struggling since a lot of it's due to, uh, you know, dependent on tourism, mm-hmm. but, um, not, now I'm like, oh, I wish we would have just gotten tested when we, <laughs> when when we had it, and uh, so that's awesome that your parents were able to go through the whole process, get it done. I feel it's just gonna be a. I feel like having like a positive test result and being able to like stamp it in your passport, whatever it is, is gonna be like a huge advantage for anyone who has that early on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in uh, in California now, it's. Uh, vaccinations are open up to almost everyone so it seems like we're making good progress there and i'm sure travel is just going to be booming this year yeah uh, later yeah. this year once once everyone gets through that so yeah it, it just sort of it, it it backfired on me i'm like so glad that it's like here <laughs> and it's happening but yeah. it backfired on me because I'm, i have like a phobia around like needles and just like doctor stuff in general and uh even now i'm like pinching my arm just like thinking about it and uh, so I was like, Oh, I, I won't do it. I won't, then I won't have to do it. But now I'm like, Oh my gosh, I might have to get a test every time I want to travel. Now I'm going to have to get tested 10 times as many times as I would have before. <laughs> so it's uh we'll see, but I'm kind of yeah. dreading it. Yeah. Oh, well. That's funny. <laughs> but anyways, amazing that Noah can start and, uh, th- that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been so awesome. Uh, you know, he's also like, he, he wants to write help articles and work on the help docs. And this is something that, you know, I've, I've started and then kind of put off and it's like, it's kind of like pulling teeth for me. So hmm. to have someone who's interested in that, it's just, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. That's awesome. Huge, yeah. huge upgrade. Um, yeah. well, that's fun. I can't wait to hear more about that later and see how it plays out and we'll give Noah a nice shout out on the podcast and, uh, and I'm sure we'll give him many more in the future. Yeah, no doubt. Super cool. Yeah, the the uh, the other thing that came out of working with Noah was uh, on Friday he was he was messing around with uh, connecting his JetBoost account to like a different Webflow account, uh, just like a second Webflow account that he has. Mm. Uh, and he started talking about how the process of selecting which Webflow projects you want JetBoost to have access to is like very clunky. Hmm. Um, basically, you when you go to connect your Webflow account, then it lists all your Webflow projects 
and lets you pick and choose. You can either just say, you know, give access to everything, or you can pick and choose specific Webflow projects. But if you have hundreds of Webflow projects, you get this like little tiny list uh, that you have to scroll through and it's not sorted very well. Uh, and I've had people complain about this before, but I was like, yeah, that's, it's actually like, it's a page hosted on Webflow. Like there's, there's nothing I can right. do about it. Right. But then I realized over the weekend, I was like, wait a second, I have a Chrome extension that runs on Webflow and oh. can do things. <laughs> so now, uh, over the weekend, I put together this, uh, this addition to the Chrome extension, which adds a search box to the Webflow page where you select your Webflow sites for JetBoost. <laughs> so it's like totally full circle now. That's amazing. Um, so yeah, in, anyone who has the, the Chrome extension installed will, installed will uh, get that little benefit there. And it's also spurred me on to actually do a few more updates to the Chrome extension, which I've, it's been almost a year since I've released an update and I feel horrible really? about it. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, I feel like it, it does so much given <laughs> how much time you put <laughs> into it and how long it's been. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I I had like the intention of releasing a lot of frequent updates with like just cool modifications or tweaks to the Webflow designer. And it's just kind of languished there and it's always sort of fallen, uh, you know, it's fallen kind of low on the priority stack. And so, yeah, just having some free time this weekend to, to play around with that has been awesome. And, hmm. uh, I know people were pretty excited when I released it initially. So I'm hoping to recapture some of that momentum. That's fun. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. Chrome extensions are such, uh, amazing like hacks and just like i don't know excuse me like superpowers it's so so much fun yeah yeah it's it's they really are crazy and i think undervalued because it's one of those things where like people in, it's it's like you know apps on your phone people install them and they don't usually uninstall them and right. like you said it's it's crazy powerful like it's so much cooler to see you're you're inside a web flow but things are different or there's you know these free additions that you get from it and the the dream of course would be if i could build jetboost as a chrome extension mm. like it would just be so much cooler to be doing everything inside of webflow right. um there there's i think unfortunately it's it's too difficult at this point it's also a lot riskier if if they change things mm. um but yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. There's just there's so many benefits to to having a Chrome extension, which is cool. Yeah, quick quick side note on it. I think um, it was Sean Puri on the uh, my first million podcast was talking about Chrome extensions because I think he like built one a while back. Has someone build one, and um, he just got like a whole bunch of installs, like just like a really good like like conversion rate and then like activation rate. And then he's like, basically no one churns, like no one uninstalls it, but like a lot of people stop using it, but like no one uninstalls Chrome extensions. <laughs> so it's like really yeah. good. Cause it's like, it's always there. And like people might remember or they might reactivate it or there's, you know, opportunities, but like, he's like, basically it has like, like, I think he said like one or 2% like uninstall rate, which is like super, super low given, you know, there's tens of thousands of people installing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. The. Uh, so like I said, I haven't really made any updates in almost a year and the like monthly installs has kept climbing all throughout the year until December. Then a bunch of people uninstalled in December. So I was like, Oh, it must be like end of the year Chrome <laughs> extension cleanup or something. Right. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That was probably some sort of like life hacker article that you know, went viral <laughs> or something. And everyone was yeah. like, we must clean our Chrome extensions and delete them. And yeah. Or so maybe some sort of hack or a leak that happens and people are scared yeah. or something. That's yeah. funny. Cool. Well, uh, anything else JetBoost related or uh, top of mind for you before I go into my updates and talk forever? <laughs> <laughs> no, really just, uh, just those two things. I mean, the Chrome extension stuff is like probably not what I should be working on, but it was sort of a fun weekend project that is now of course bled over into Monday and, and probably part of Tuesday as well. But Hey, yeah. if you have the inspiration and the momentum, <laughs> right. 
go for it. I mean, yeah, it's just yeah. Try to capture that lightning in the bottle. Yeah, and I I would say momentum is something I have been lacking lately. So it's like, all right, I'm just gonna go with it and and yeah. see where it takes us. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But yeah, um, that's really it for me. Cool. Well, man, I'll try not to talk too long. I wanted to get your thoughts on something actually, so it won't be me uh, talking the whole time. But basically, all of my updates are asset allocation related. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Uh, one is uh, March. Uh, so I files did $10,000 in revenue, which was pretty cool. And just like a fun milestone. That was surprised to hit. Uh, about half of that came from the course sales and the enrollment period that was open for the first week of March. The other half of that came from uh, podcast and newsletter sponsorship plus membership um, revenue you know, from, from new members, mm-hmm. uh, haven't had those first renewals. I think I'll actually have the first renewals in April, definitely May, but maybe late April is when I officially launched Swipe Files last year. Uh, wow. so maybe we'll see some renewal revenue this year, which would be pretty weird. Um, <laughs> just free money out of nowhere. is what's going to feel like, but, uh, so anyways, it was, a, it was a fun milestone and, uh, just a kind of a cool thing. So I tweeted about it last week and it's pretty well received, but it essentially bought me about two months of future runway, which I'm excited about and stoked about. Um, I'm trying to figure out which one. I'll, I'll get back to that thought here in a second. But uh, the second one I want to ask about is basically like how I should use this future runway of mine for swipe files and get your thoughts on it. Because I had sort of like this epiphany moment. Um, but before I get into that, because I feel like that's more the more important topic is I want to talk about the Earnest Capital WeFunder campaign. Uh, mm. You're an Earnest Capital portfolio company. So there's an interesting kind of like meta <laughs> analysis here <laughs> on on your end. But also, I don't know, if, have you been following sort of the Tyler's thoughts on it and sort of the upcoming campaign he's going to run? Um, I, I would say I'm aware of it. Okay. Okay, cool. So basically for, for the listeners, and maybe, I don't know if you, maybe there's some gaps in what you know, uh, March 15th, there was sort of like a, a new regulation amendment or just a new regulation change or whatever uh, to crowdfunding. And it basically like made it a little bit easier and friendlier as well as it vastly increased the cap from 1.07 million you can raise per year to 5 million you can raise per year. Gumroad was one of the first to take advantage of this, and uh, they raised all $5 million at a $100 pre-money valuation. I believe technically it was. I could be wrong on that. Um, and uh, I was one of those investing $1,000. And there was a, a lot of you know chatter online and just like discussion about what does it mean and how do you get your money back and the you know history and the future of Gumroad and all this jazz. I believe Tyler, you know, saw this cut wind of it as he does, did some kind of social listening and uh, validation work, quote unquote, on Twitter to see if people would be interested in, in doing something similar for Ernest. And basically, I think now he's planning on April 14th, opening up a crowdfunding campaign to invest in Ernest, the company, not the investment vehicle. So essentially... Uh, Ernest raises money from limited partners. They go and deploy that money. And then Ernest takes 20% of the profit from that invested capital. Uh, 80% goes back to the limited partners for each fund. And uh, so then Ernest then, you know, gets 20% of that 20%. Tyler gets 70, uh, 70%, 20% goes to existing team members. And I think early limited partners who probably had a larger stake, uh, and now a proposed new 10% of that 20% would go to uh, WeFunder limited partners, like potentially myself or yourself or anyone uh, who caught wind of it. And I think he said they're already like oversubscribed. So they have like more interest than what they're considering raising, which is $2 million, a decent chunk of change. So basically, here's, <laughs> here's what I want to do for you. I, I tweeted out this big long thread. I need to look at it to see if Tyler or, or Matt, their head of finance has responded or anything, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on one, the math, cause I'm not even sure I'm doing the math correctly, but also 
just like talk out loud a little bit and like if I can just if you can be my sounding board a little bit. So I'm trying to understand the math behind it. And I, I think of so far, are there any like gaps or like flaws in my in my in my math so far from what I described? Uh let me add the caveat that I'm probably the wrong person to be <laughs> uh double checking your work, but so far it sounds good. Okay. Today. So far it sounds good so far. Nothing nothing's jumping out. Okay. So so here's here's how I'm thinking about it. And you can reference the the tweet thread if if you want to like see it because it's this is basically everything kind of laid out. But I'm trying to understand if if I were to participate in a crowdfunding campaign for Ernest, which is like very like cutting edge kind of investment strategy. I think this is quite literally like the first of its kind. There was Backstage Capital who did something like this and I, I put 100 bucks in that one just because it was a hundred bucks. And I was like, why not? I just want to participate. Uh, and now in earnest, which I would consider putting more in if it warranted it. And also trying to figure out, okay, well, how could I turn my thousand or $2,000 into potentially in the future? Basically, how do I, I, I already like want to do it and I'm kind of sold on it, <laughs> but how do I sell this to my wife? <laughs> how do I, how do I explain <laughs> this to my family and to my friends and to other people who are going to think that I'm crazy? So, the way that the math works out, so you have 20% of the carry or the profit goes to earnest. 10% of that 20% goes to WeFunder Limited Partners. So basically it's around you know 2% of all fund carry or funds carry goes to WeFunder Limited Partners. And then based on the $2 million that they're raising through WeFunder, determines the percentage of the 2% that you get to uh, get exposure to, participate in, receive. I don't know what the right like technical word is for mm -hmm. that. I'm like using all the <laughs> all the right wrong words. I don't know all the like <laughs> investor nomenclature. So investing, just like to put some numbers on it, because actually $2,000 was the amount that I was sort of thinking like, well, it's enough that I would like really think about it but it's not enough that it would like I would go broke over it or my, I would get really pissed at myself for losing if it went to zero. Investing $2,000 gets you 0.1% of 2% of the total fund carry. And if you, you work that out, that's 0.002% of total fund carry. So basically then I was running the numbers. Okay, if, if that's like the amount of exposure, quote unquote, that I get, having invested $2,000, how much do I need to get my money back to get a decent return and to get an amazing return? To get the money back, to get $2,000 back, basically, Ernest would have to generate $100 million in carry over, like, that's such, like, I think the lifetime of Ernest, like, over multiple funds. It's just whenever that milestone is hit, theoretically, you would get your money back, your $2,000 back. Anything after that then is sort of like a positive return, which then makes you think about, you know, well, what is this in, in compared to the stock market into real estate into other funds, which I have no idea. That's where like IRR, internal rate of return, other fancy terms come into place mm -hmm. here. But you work out the math, $100 million, you get your money back, $100 million in carry. $200 million in carry, you double your money. So you turn $2,000 into $4,000. If you wanted to 10x your money and get a really fantastic return, there would need to be $1 billion in carry. And that's a billion with a B. That's sort of a, a very large number. And so it had me thinking, okay, well, with $1 billion in carry, how long would that take? Uh, you know, that could, that could happen in a multitude of different sort of return scenarios like is it, uh, is it a 2x average return, 3x return, 5x return? you know, 1.5 X return, who knows? Um, but just 1 billion, like what are the numbers there? So I don't know, basically has me wondering, uh, that would be great. You know, turning $2,000 into $20,000, that'd be cool. <laughs> I guess that's like a new car for my future child or something, or maybe <laughs> it's just a, you know, I don't know, something else that goes into, uh, but is that crazy? Cause those are really, really big numbers. Um, I don't, it's hard for me to even figure like what, what would be like your stake in this? What's like a like reasonable a, target? Yeah. Like, 
yeah, it just, is it crazy? Um, and how long, because really, I mean, if you put your, I don't know the exact numbers, but if you put your $2,000 into the S and P 500 and it, you know, let's just say that it averages an 8% return. I don't know what the math turns out, but it's like, you could probably double your mo- your money in 10 years or something like that, 20 years or however the math works out. Um, how long will it take earnest capital to generate a billion dollars in carry? If it's 50 years, then like I, my money is probably better spent in the <laughs> S&P 500. It wouldn't be nearly as fun, but that would be the, the smarter decision. Um, so I don't know. Anyways, general thoughts or comments? Well, I mean, first thought is JetBoost is part of Ernest, so probably won't be that long for Ernest to generate a billion dollars carry. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I I guess to take a step back, and maybe I'm, uh, just to make sure I'm understanding correctly, is the reason you would invest in the crowdfunded uh, vehicle versus, you know, Ernest has like the, the rolling fund where you could be, if you go through that route where you're more of like an LP, then you're investing in a specific earnest fund, whereas this is kind of giving you exposure to the overall earnest performance of all the funds. Is that the, the up the, like the pros of it? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. They're, they're definitely, cause I thought about that. There are definitely pros and cons. I think that, uh, pros of investing just like being a limited partner in earnest, the institutional investment fund or each fund, uh, definitely. I think that you sort of get the better end of the deal, getting 80% of the carry and a shorter time horizon. And it's much more tried and true of a proven model. The cons are you have to do it fund by fund. And now I've already missed out on the first three, the first three funds, basically, I believe, I think he's in the middle of raising fund three. So I will definitely the first two, probably the first three funds. I, I am not a part of the first, uh, the third one. So I already missed out on the first three, which is pretty lame. And, um, and also it's a much bigger requirement. So I think it's five, it's probably changed, but I believe the last time I looked, it was like $5,000 a quarter, which is out of scope for me personally right now. I would hope to be able to hit that you know, within the next year or two, but right now that's personally out of scope for me. So that's obviously a big con because it sort of excludes me from yeah, the whole equation. That's a good point. Um, the pro of doing the, the we funder is that, yeah, you get exposure to all the funds, even retroactively, which I love because, uh, you're in there and there's just, you know, there's other ones there, there's smaller funds, but I just like the idea of having all funds and all, especially all future funds as well with a one-time investment. Um, the cons are, it sort of feels like the worst end of the deal and a definitely less tried and true model and a potentially much longer time horizon and potential, yeah. And worst end of the deal, meaning, meaning AKA potentially lower returns. So yeah, that's how I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I'll, I'll be curious to follow your Twitter thread and see if <laughs> Tyler or anyone else from Ernest, uh, replies because number one, I'm not, like I said, a hundred percent sure on the math. It sounds accurate to me, but I would, not want to misstate something on here that's you know and, and steer know. people in the wrong direction yeah a hundred percent i i actually i kind of hope my math is wrong <laughs> because <laughs> it's giving me not pause but um but if for example like uh i'm i'm a decimal point decimal point too conservative that would definitely help sort of like the uh the investment um prospectus you know of like how good the returns could be um, but yeah, there, I mean, there's probably all sorts of details in here, but I, I'm pretty sure it's at least like 90% right. Uh, maybe there's some sort of caveat, but, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'd be curious to see how they respond to, or what other, other people's thoughts. Cause when I invested in Gumroad, all sorts of people came from the woodworks with opinions and thoughts and, uh, ideas about, well, how do you get your money back? And so now mm. I'm trying to do my due diligence and like actually work <laughs> through the numbers since they're, relatively available and uh and 
I really do it all. So we'll see. Yeah. I want to say it was, maybe it was bootstrapped web that was talking about the, uh, the Gumroad crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. And I think they were saying, I think they were talking about some of the downsides of like you, there is no way for you to really get your money back unless, uh, you know, Sahil decides to do these certain things, whether it's sell Gumroad or, uh, raise a series, whatever. Um, otherwise you're just kind of stuck, which mm -hmm. is, which is definitely a, a negative, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I'll say the, the biggest, uh, attraction for me to the deal is sort of the idea of that perpetual carry because I'm super young and I've got time on my side. And if I can, you know, put $2,000 in now, theoretically, again, given the numbers that we are looking at. And when I'm 70, be getting a check for 10 grand a year or something like that feels pretty mm -hmm. cool. Like, man, that was probably, mm -hmm. probably would have been one of my best investments ever. And if it goes to zero and there's nothing, then it was $2,000, but it feels like it's one of those, you know, positive asymmetry, unlimited potential, very, very low downside scenarios that got me intrigued. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say. I, I, I have a little bit of a negative bias towards the crowdfunding stuff. Mm. Uh, so maybe uh, it must have been now 10 or 15 years ago. Peer-to-peer uh, -peer lending became a thing. There was this company called Lending Club. Yeah. H have you heard of them? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it was like right when it first came out, it was super hot. And, you know, people were, were getting like 20% returns back before crypto and all this other crazy stuff existed uh, where 20% where returns was actually impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, and... <laughs> So I got really into it and I put in a few thousand. And so basically what you're doing is you are, you're putting your money into the service and then they're loaning your money out to individuals. And so you might put in say $5,000 and that's going to go into uh, a ton of different loans that are each like you're putting in $25 into each loan. So you get to diversify the risk a little bit of any one loan defaulting uh, and theoretically end up getting, you know, pretty nice returns from it. The problem was number one, you had to select loans that were either three or five years in term. Uh, and so your money was locked up for that period. I mean, there was basically mm, right. no liquidity other than, I think there was some sort of secondary market, but, uh, anyways, all in all, so for, for five years, I'm sitting here like watching this account and it started off pretty good. And then over time it got worse and worse. And by the end it was like slightly, it was either even or like slightly negative. And it was just, uh. it was only a few thousand dollars, but it was just like sort of this, you know, mind share where, where I'm thinking about like, I have this money that's locked up that is like not returning anything and is just really annoying me that I ever did this experiment. Uh, so, so now any of these like new vehicles, I'm always just like, eh, <laughs> I don't really want to put my money into something that I might not see for another, you know, in this case, you know, many, many years. So, yeah. but like you said, you're looking, you're looking at it from the optimistic point of view of like being 70 years old and, and getting this check from, uh, you know, we funder Ernest, whoever, which, whichever actually pays out, mm -hmm. uh, the check. So, yeah. Right. Yep. It's definitely the eternal optimist in me talking. And, uh, <laughs> no, and that's good. I mean, that's how away from it. That's how you. Uh, that's the only way to really capitalize on opportunities like this. Like, I was pretty early to Bitcoin. Like, I, I was started purchasing when it was around two hundred fifty dollars, and just. Uh, you know, after the the first spike to a thousand and then back down, I was like, nope, this is not for me mm. and stayed out of it. And now it's like, well, you probably should have stayed in. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so it, it helps to be an optimist for sure. Yeah. Speaking of which I, um, it's funny because actually I think that some of this thinking now is actually, uh, I guess like 
not tainted, but it's definitely like influenced by my previous experience with Bitcoin. I think I had first heard of Bitcoin. It, it was definitely before like the whole like pop and the whole like hype. I think it was happening, you know, started in like October of 2018 or 17 or something like that. I can't remember the exact timeline, but uh, you know, that was a while back. And I w somehow heard about it months before that. Didn't buy any. I had no idea really what it was. Generally, I'm actually like pretty conservative and cautious about most things. Um, so then the whole thing pops. I had a there was a coworker who had three Bitcoin. So like it went all the way up to you know eighteen thousand dollars, and he sold two of them, and you know made a bunch of money and like bought a new car or something like that. And uh, and then I went back down, and then there was that moment of like. Hmm. Well, I wonder if I should buy in now. And it was, you know, all the way back down <laughs> to like three thousand dollars. Right. And at the time, I don't think that you could buy fractional shares. I could be wrong on that, but I don't think that you could. And three thousand dollars at that time, I was newly married and had like basically no money. Still don't have very much, but I had no money back then. And <laughs> uh, so I was like, three thousand dollars is a lot. Like this, if this went down to you know a thousand dollars or zero, that would really really hurt. And so I didn't buy, I didn't buy one, even though I really wanted to, and I sort of believed in it and did my research and stuff. And so now I obviously deeply regret that because that $3,000 would have turned into $60,000 could potentially turn into a million dollars one day. <laughs> um, but now when I see these types of things, I'm, I also think about not just mm -hmm. the, the downside, but I have the FOMO for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I will say though, for a lot of these crowdfunding type of things, I've also seen crowdfunding for a long time and I was also really interested in peer-to-peer uh, -peer lending and stuff like that. And I will say that my overall impression, a lot of the crowdfunding stuff is that a lot of it is overvalued, I feel like. Like when you do a, a campaign, it's, it's at very reasonable terms, very friendly for terms for the the raiser, mm -hmm. for the, uh, the, the person receiving the money, right? Not for the investor. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, even Gumroad, like, kind of a terrible deal <laughs> waiting for a billion dollar <laughs> outcome or some sort of secondary, you know, like you're kind of hoping and praying for the future, but, uh, but I had the FOMO. So, yeah. I mean, I will say if I was going to bet on someone, I would definitely bet on Tyler and Ernest right. because he's just <laughs> super talented guy, super smart, knows what he's doing. And, uh, you know, I have a lot, ton of respect for him. So, a hundred percent. Yeah. That's uh I think that very much is most of the appeal that if there was going to be someone who could return a billion dollars and carry, if the math works out, then uh, I would think they would, it could be Tyler for sure. Yeah. I, the other encouraging part is that I know that that happens in other venture capital firms and this probably just requires some other research from me, but I wonder how often, cause I know for example, the SACRA report, um, they were talking about like the average DPI, I believe it's like the metric, but the average basically returns on venture capital and like the, the like average like medium maybe was like, it was only like one point something like it was, it was not mm -hmm. very good. And then like the arithmetic median, I want to say was like 1.5 or something like that. And then like you start going up, it's like, oh, you know, the top 20% return two plus, and then like the top performers perform, you know, three to 10 uh, mm. times basically. And uh, so it has me wondering like, well, would Ernest have to become one of those or would they, could they do that still being a, you know, 1.5 or a, a 2.0 sort of DPI average? I don't even know the, the numbers or like the acronyms that I'm saying, but <laughs> I think they're correct. <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. This is this kind of reminds me of a, a discussion that was taking place in the Ernest Slack either last week or the week before. Uh, not not a, specifically about crowdfunding, uh, but basically, what do you do as you know, your company, you, you start to accumulate more cash in your company's bank account. Uh, 
what do you do with that? And so, so mm. one of the, one of the, uh, portfolio companies was asking, you know, do we, uh, do we start looking at other investments? Do we put it into crypto? <laughs> do we, uh, you know, what, what, what should we do with this, this excess cash? And, uh, it's in some ways it's, it's what you're talking about. Like where can we get the most returns? And, one of the one of the replies that I really liked was, uh, you know, uh, I won't say who it was from, but it was someone who uh, has invested in companies and and looked at a multitude of companies before, and he said, basically, if a company doesn't know how to deploy their own capital, that's like a red flag. Like you shouldn't mm-hmm. be looking to go get, uh, you know, returns in the stock market or in crypto or whatever it is like you should be is it you know are there two key hires that you can make that will get you from 30k mrr to to 60 or whatever it is uh because if so like you should go do those and if not then you should figure out like what is your what is your strategy there Hmm. so i guess it kind of makes me think like is there 2k you can put in to swipe files to turn it into 20k <laughs> right. right i know that yeah. in, a, in a shorter time frame okay so this is the perfect segue into topic number two for me perfect. which is quite literally should i be deploying capital and start outsourcing slash delegating slash hiring like more aggressively um basically i think i'll i think i might share the numbers relatively soon. I don't think I'm quite ready to share, but uh, I've accumulated a decent chunk of change now in this new business bank account of mine. Now that's why I is officially incorporated. Um, that is not my personal savings and that is actually there, like earned revenue through the business. And, uh, and so it's starting to get to a point where, you know, it could be, I could measure it in terms of like runway and be like, oh, I have, you know, a year of runway for myself. But if I have revenue, even especially if I'm profitable, then like you said, what do you do with this money? And should you start deploying it more aggressively to increase your revenue and increase your profitability? And um, so anyways, this, this amount is accumulating in the bank account that I haven't touched yet. And it has me starting to think, well, one, originally it was, you know, when or if do I start paying myself? But two, what do I do with this to help me get to a thousand true fans and be- make Swifels more profitable, more sustainable? And could I? What What would I do? And that was just like this whole existential <laughs> question. <laughs> you know, Pandora's box opened my mind about. Well, gee, I had, I really had had not thought about that for swipe files personally. That question mm-hmm. has definitely ran through my head a hundred times through a SaaS business or any other type of business, you know, talking with friends or, uh, you know, whatnot, but for some reason, not for swipe files. So anyways, yeah, I don't know what, if there was a sizable amount, like how would you think about things if you were me? Yeah. So my first question is, do you find that swipe files members tend to be, uh, like existing marketers or people who are, you know, good at marketing or in the marketing side, or is it more people who want to get better at marketing, but that's maybe not their main job? That's hard. I think it's split pretty evenly. 50, 50. Okay. Because yeah, my first thought was, you should just go where whether it's you know indie hackers or developers or uh, designers basically people who are building products uh, but aren't marketers to me it seems like sponsoring whatever groups they're in Mm. uh, it's it's I would think that those people are the people who need swipe files the most uh, if they want to have success at growing their own product businesses. Um, 
you know, we've talked before about what is Swipe Files? What is the Swipe Files community? Is it like the community where all the top marketers hang out? And if that's the case, then like going and targeting, you know, non-marketers is, is probably not the right move. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good question. It, yeah. It also makes me think like, do I go straight for kind of like the the marketing advertising route or do I go more towards like the product route, if you will, with investing more in like, I don't know, content or operations or, mm -hmm. um, you know, someone who helps more on like producing something that people would buy into with a membership essentially. Uh, you know, the flip side, like he's just said, is it marketing? Is it advertising? Is it sponsoring or testing some ads or, service even that would help with the marketing side of things. Um, that's definitely one of the big open questions. I'll tell you like the, the two things that immediately come to mind are one, some sort of service to help with, uh, some sort of like, you know, productized service. Essentially. I think that would help with some of the more time intensive parts of some of the things that I'm doing with swipe files, uh, mainly being, around the podcast, which is an unproven marketing channel, which kind of gives me pause from like a really objective kind of perspective. Um, but also, you know, basically just unlock my time to then go and work on other things. So that could be a net positive. Uh, the other thing is a, an executive assistant VA type of person. So I'm not even sure if that's like the right descriptor. I've also th thrown around the idea of like some sort of like apprentice or intern possibly even, um, but someone to do more of like the administrative organizational type things, since that's definitely not mm -hmm. my sort of like forte. And also I'm just trying to unlock more time to do more of the creating essentially. So like what are like the, the things only I can do one of the things I also really like to do, and both of those are the creating uh, parts of things. Um, and both of those start fairly cheap. Like, a, you know, they're not like hiring a full-time person or even a part-time person. They're about, you know, half of that, like kind of like a quarter-time person, essentially. Um, but, you know, it also had me thinking like, I don't know, maybe I should be paying for like a content or like a researcher or like a, Maybe I should be sponsoring things like running ads or I don't know. That's yeah. And it's, what's it's, less like, what do I, what do I want to do? And like, what's, what's like the smart, like asset allocation <laughs> use of this money. <laughs> right. Ideally I'd like to do all the things, but what, what, what would I, what would be smart for this stage for me and a good, you know, use of this money, given how much money I have in the current, sort of metrics essentially. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I would have trouble giving myself this advice. Uh, <laughs> but to me, it, it seems like you have like, you've got two courses, you've got the community, like you have enough and you have all the, obviously the teardowns, the, uh, the, the, I can't remember what you ended up calling it. the second brain, the the swipe file itself. Yep, the brain. Uh, there's already so much there. It seems like the the biggest return you can get is just getting that in front of more people. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that is, like you said, testing advertising or sponsorships, or um, that seems like the quickest route. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're more, they're more marketing related, especially given the goal of trying to reach a thousand true fans and reach some sort of profitability, both on like a sort of personal and business level, being able to pay myself and still be profitable as a business. Yeah. But I think as part of that, uh, I'm, I'm certainly going through it and seeing that just the how much potential you can unlock when you hire people who are better than you at certain things uh and you know freeing up your time to like you said focus on creating 
let other people handle the, the other parts of the business. It's, I, I'm, I'm definitely understanding why that works now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think the part of that hard part is that given that it's a membership site and it's very content based, it's a little bit less, right. It's, it's more ambiguous for like hiring out the product side of things. That makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I want to keep developing the product, build new features. Like I'm going to go hire a developer. It's like, I want to, create more courses and make the community more valuable and write more teardowns. Like <laughs> who do I hire for that? Another marketer? But like, isn't that why you would hire out the other positions and then you do that? Exactly. Right. So like maybe I'm thinking about it backwards. Um, but then I'm hiring out the marketing of soy files, which I also really like doing mm-hmm. and maybe I'm the best at, I don't know. So mm-hmm. and yeah, that, that is the, the hard part. I see what you're saying. So I don't know. I don't need any answers, but that's, that's been the big question. I think especially like how, how quickly there's probably some resources. And if people are listening, have any on like, I don't know, acceptable burn rates or just like smart way. I don't know, like rates of, uh, I don't know like forecasting, I probably just need to get into summit actually. Now I'm thinking about it, but, uh, trying to put like some, some numbers out there of like, this feels like a smart idea and not just like mm-hmm. a gut feeling. Yeah. I think it also depends on your personal tolerance where if you're like, okay, I've got one year of runway right now and hiring this person's going to say cut that down to six months with the potential that we'll be able to grow and uh you know then eventually the runway is going to grow i would say i was definitely too conservative with that Mm -hmm. um but it's it's really hard in the beginning when you're just like (laughs) wanting to make sure you have enough runway to to keep doing it uh so Yeah. yeah it's it's scary to like, all right, we're going to, we're going to slice that year down to six months or whatever it may be. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. exactly sort of how I'm thinking about it. Yeah. All right. Like well. I, I felt that I had to get to default alive basically by myself before I would feel comfortable hmm. hiring other people. Right. And that was probably like a first time founder mistake, but, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely tough. Yeah. You know, it's, it's also had me thinking like, I just, I literally could not imagine being like a VC backed founder of a startup. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a limiting belief personally. I, I know that it is, but it just feels like to be okay with that. You either have to be so okay with like sort of like failing and like disappointing, or you have to be like so disciplined and just like maniacal about like, this is the right path, even though it's super, super scary. Cause I just wouldn't, would not feel comfortable doing that. Like raising, I don't know, people are raising like a $500,000 pre-seed and then like a million dollar seed. And like, they're still in stealth mode. Like what? <laughs> you're, you're, you know, burning a hundred grand a month on your 10 person team. And you have a year and you need to get to how much revenue and how little time and, and then you're raising the next round before you even it's like, whoa, I'd like that's intense. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Again, I, I could only see, I would only be interested in that in going that route if it was, yeah, if it wasn't something in stealth, it was like, okay, there's some early traction. Uh, and it seems like whether it's, because the market that it's in or, uh, whatever the outside forces are, there's like, okay, if you really want to make this thing work, like you're probably going to need a lot of capital and and go the venture capital route. Right. Like, I think I'd be okay with that then, but to just blindly be like, all right, we're going to build this thing in stealth mode and hopefully it's, it's the right thing. And hopefully we're solving the right problem in the right way. Uh, or we find out in two years that we just like all wasted our time and money. And then that, that would not be good. That's scary. Yeah. Really scary. Yeah. And then 
and then you would be fortunate if you were in a position like Sahil with uh, Gumroad where things are working, but they're just not working well enough. And then you could sort of just, I don't know, like worst case scenario, keep the company alive. But like, I think he's definitely the exception, not the rule. I think you just have to yeah. shut down after a couple of years and, or get acro hired. And then oof, that's, that's a tough yeah. one. I mean, wasn't it in some ways like that was the same story for bear metrics where there was like quite a right. decent amount of investment in the beginning. Yeah. And then it was like, Oh, you know, we're not, we're not on the, the tra- trajectory is not headed towards a, you know, billion dollar exit or whatever. So, yeah, it was like, it was sort of uh similar, but like a different order of operations. So it was like, Oh, like high growth and decent amount of traction. And then like, you know, decent amount of funding. I think it was like $800,000 or something like that. And then it was like, Oh, growth rate is not so good anymore. And we don't want to raise more money. So now we're like switching to this other model. And so, yeah, that's, that's scary. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little different. Yeah. Well, TBD, but thanks for allowing me to think out loud <laughs> through that. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But I think, um, I'm kind of ready to like, I don't know, make some like small moves and just like start experimenting with things. I'm like kind of antsy to just start putting some money to work and start moving a little bit quicker. Yeah. Was the, the earnest crowdfunding was the cap 2000. That was the most you could put in. No, I think the cap that Tyler is asking people, I don't know if he's officially made it a cap is $10,000. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which that personally would also be out of my, like, uh, uh, that'd be too scary for me. That'd be too much. Yeah. So just like kind of see go to zero possibly or never see again. Um, $5,000 would be like a, a stretch. $2,000 feels one to 2000 feels more like, you know, comfortable range. Yeah. Yeah. My last thought on that is like I said, if, if you're in the range where you're just like, totally comfortable with it then maybe why not just so you, just so you can be along for the ride right. <laughs> yeah like at the end of the totally. day it's like yeah why not that was definitely thinking with Gumroad, with Ernest trying to put more <laughs> thought into it to sell it to my wife that's another investment <laughs> but uh yeah who was it there was um Oh yeah. I think again, another, my, my first million podcast reference, but they had some sort of investor on there and he was talking about how, like, I don't know they've been talking a lot about like fundraising. I think cause mo- both of them are fundraising. Sean has like his rolling fund and then like Sam just sold, uh, the hustle. And now he's like doing syndicate stuff and angel investing. And I'm actually not even sure that like investing as an LP in a lot of VC firms is like the best way to put your money. Cause it's so spread out. And like you're waiting for those, that power law effect, just like, you know, one to five companies carrying all of the, the returns. I actually feel like angel investors are much smarter and it's a little bit of an easier model. Cause you kind of just say yes, unless there's like a big red flag. And if you're really well connected or if you have some sort of niche, then like you'd exposure to, a bunch of winners. Um, and it kind of feels similar with this whole crowdfunding thing. Like if I were to really go at it with a strategy, I would probably just say yes to everything because <laughs> how could you really <laughs> wade through all of them? It, unless there's like a big mm-hmm. red flag, then yeah, it's hard. So things like Gumroad come up and I'm, I'm a yes man. Things like Ernest come up and I want to be a yes man. <laughs> Why not? It's it's the times we're living in. Crazy times. Crazy times. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's enough number crunching as as... for one day. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Well, that's all I got. Um, anything else before we wrap up? No, that's all I got too. All right. That's all we got chat. in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, well yeah. another short hour talk. <laughs> another short hour. Jesus flies. Well, we'll have as many of the uh, things we can remember and mentions in the show notes, and we'll see you in the next one.